0: Hey, everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, let's just remember that it was 44,000 votes in three states that ensured that Joe Biden was elected president in 2020. We must make sure that that margin is bigger and in more places come 2024. That's why I need you to join the Union. Go to jointheunion.us and sign up for our field army that is going to ensure the future of American democracy. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again joined by legendary Democratic strategist, senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, and host of That Trippy Show, found on your favorite podcast app, Joe Trippy. Joe, welcome back. Great to be with you, Reed. All right. Well, it's been a while, Joe. So there was a story as we're recording this by a guy named Jonathan Martin, who you and I have known. He started at Politico many moons ago when he and I used to eat chili at a place called Hard Times Cafe in Old Town, Alexandria. Went to the New York Times, now back at Politico, about the idea that, you know, it's not a two-way race in 2024. It could be a three- or four-way race in 2024. And you and I have both talked and written extensively about this phenomenon, which is that you have, obviously, President Joe Biden who will be the Democratic nominee and anybody who's listening does not believe that. I also have a bridge to sell you. We assume, and I think it's probably a pretty strong assumption, Joe, that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, that his numbers only go up after every succeeding indictment. and <laughs> We shouldn't expect that'll be any different. We now have this group, No Labels, hanging out there that we have, we've all talked about extensively, you know, threatening to put a third party candidate on the ballot. And we also have Cornell West and Jill Stein you know, running on the, I think it's the People's Party or whatever it is, but sort of hyper-liberal, hyper-progressive idea. Remember that Jill Stein ran in 2016 as the Green Party candidate. You know, if you talk to a lot of Democrats, it was the 6,000 votes in Michigan that she garnered that cost Hillary Clinton the election. I think there's one angle, but there's a lot going on. But So there's a constellation of stuff. But to me, my supposition is that they're all in it together. There's Joe Biden and everybody else.
1: Yeah including RFK Jr. I mean, just all kinds of stuff that's happening that is all by design to divide the Biden vote, the voters that the pro-democracy side of this all need to defeat Trump, because it's Trump versus democracy. And so all these things that Jonathan Martin talked about in that piece, including a lot of Democratic hand-wringing about Biden, which is just at this point, I agree with you. It's like, look, just get over it. Joe Biden, he's done a great job. He's the incumbent president, leader of the Democratic Party, and he has every right and will run and be the nominee. So once you deal with that and then look at the threat of no labels and Jill Stein and, you know, West, and again, even RFK Jr., like, you know, it's clear Steve Bannon helped recruit him to run in the first place. And then on top of that, it's not going to be any shock to you or me that when an independent dark money, independent expenditure comes out for RFK Jr. attacking Joe Biden any day now, I mean, at some point, so it's all in concert, I think, wittingly or not, and I think a lot of it is wittingly, but wittingly or not to benefit Trump and to get him back in the White House, which is the biggest threat to our democracy
0: since the Civil War. There's that old song, right? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Sometimes uh, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, but I think that we have to understand, too, that as our colleague and friend Trigby Violson says, we have to fight the fight we're in, not the one we are used to or the one we wished we were in, which is, you know, I think too often, Joe, that, you know, because of the buffoonish nature of Donald Trump on an event stage or in an interview, right, where he just sounds so weird, that, we don't give enough, credit's not the right word, but we don't understand exactly how smart, how organized, how relentless, and how well-resourced, not the Trump campaign, but all of the organs around him, the rest of the movement. And I think we should always remind ourselves that this is a movement that are willing to do and say anything to spend time figuring this out. So you've got Steve Bannon setting up RFK Jr. Okay, why RFK Jr.? Because he's an anti-vax guy. He's an anti-establishment guy. I mean, some friends of mine who are about my age, mid-late 40s, Gen X, white guys, successful, whatever, like RFK Jr. I asked a friend of mine, why? I said, do you like him because you really think he's sane or do you like him because... He's anti-establishment and you're sick of the establishment. He said, you know, it's a good question. I asked myself that, too. And then it's the Marin County moms, right? The anti-vax moms, right? And all of these, as Rick calls it, the game of small numbers. They understand the game of small numbers as well as we do, which is Trump is not likely to overperform electorally unless something dramatic happens. So they have to go shave as much support off of Biden, A, with Democrats, B, with independents, and C with those soft Republicans that came across the line for Biden in 20 and came across the line for Democrats in 22.
1: Trump got, I think, 46% of the vote in 2016. He got 46.7, I think, in 2020. He's never gotten over 50. Biden got 51% of the vote in 2020. So if you look at that and you look at a Biden-Trump matchup and you throw out the Mark Penn-Harris polls that are kind of messing up what the real polling average would be right now, you know, Biden wins by four or five points. All because Trump can't possibly get to 50. I mean, he's got 30-40% of the country that is going to go with him no matter what, no matter what these indictments are, but he can't get there from here. The only way he can win is two things. Just the arithmetic of small numbers, you get RFK Jr. picking off anti-establishment Democrats taking it to Biden, running up Biden's negatives at the same during a primary that is just ridiculous but they will do that and he'll probably get funding but then the bigger one is the way you make 46 45% of the vote a winning number is by siphoning off the pro democracy the anti trump vote and splitting people off of biden whether it's because of no labels or cornell west you know or any of it we're getting to a point where every single thing that is out there any candidate is actually helping Trump win, helping siphon votes away from Biden. And that's the real danger. I mean, I think that's the way that puts Trump back in the White House.
0: Right. And I think you make a good point. Let's just stick on Kennedy for a second. First of all, if his name was Bob Smith Jr., right, no one would give two hoots what he thought about anything. I mean, this guy's literally only because of his name. And I mean, let's be honest, Joe, I mean, what are the number of voters that actually cast a vote for his father or his uncle that are still active in American politics today? And so he's taken on this much different you know, thing. And to your point, I hadn't thought about this before you said it, which is you've mentioned before, I think either on our show or on your own or on other conversations that the DNC has decided to make South Carolina the first Democratic primary, right? But the state of New Hampshire, as you know, said, we don't care what you think. Like, we're the first in the nation primary. In fact, it's our law. So are you going to have a situation where RFK Jr. like goes and participates significantly in New Hampshire? And, you know, you have to come up with some sort of write-in thing for Biden. Because as you, you know, as well as I know, that not only would a Kennedy victory in New Hampshire be a whole thing that it really isn't. But the the right wing media would make a big thing of it. The anti-establishment media would make a big thing of it, which eventually, almost immediately on its heels, the mainstream media would say, well, I don't know. Is there really something here? Even though they know better, they just get swept up in the deal.
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of games that are going to be played here. And New Hampshire is one of them, because, again, as you point out, RFK is spending a lot of time up there. It's in the Boston media market, so the Kennedy name is pretty strong, even though the Kennedy family is totally against this and thinks it's absolutely crazy for him to run with the policies that he's espousing, which are all anti-vax and right-wing conspiracy theories. But as you point out, because New Hampshire is not the first in the nation Democratic primary, it will be for the Republicans, they're going to hold it anyway. And RFK Jr. is going to be on that ballot. And there's a good chance Biden will not be. He'll abide by the rules of the nominating process. Although I, in the end, I think that'll get worked out. It was last time this happened. This schism with New Hampshire's happened before. And there's usually some agreement on doing it. But make no mistake, you're right. RFK Jr. is going to use New Hampshire as a jumping off point. But you know, you look at his funding. I mean, we had the first funding reports a lot of his donors, I mean, a large chunk of his donors are Trump donors. And a lot of the um, vendors and people he's using are Republican firms. Well,
0: because no Democratic firm would work for him, right? Right.
1: So it's clear what's going on. That's in the open. You know, when you start looking at, okay, Steve Bannon got him in, I'm sure there's no dark money machinery out there ready to score points for him. So that sets up one of the three stools, I think, is, you know, he's part of this. And then you get to know labels and other third-party efforts. Look, this is the culmination of a 40-year movement
0: strategy, relentless, disciplined. I would venture to say it's even longer. I would say, talking to a lot of folks, it goes back to a specific point in time, the 64 Goldwater Convention in San Francisco was really where this a lot of this stuff germinated.
1: Right, but it became institutional. I mean with, you know, the Federalist Society. I mean, it be, basically they created, you know, Alec and the focus on everything from starting up the media to their own media echo chamber to changing state election laws. They've been doing this for a long time, but now they actually have enough legislatures where they're actually can steal the election legally by changing the laws in the state. All of this including RFK, including no labels and who's funding them, it's clear that this is a well-thought-out, disciplined, and well-moneyed enterprise to basically take power. And our problem, I think, has been that the pro-democracy side, we never built a, it's one of the reasons we started Resolute Square and stuff, because no one's built any of these counter forces.
0: Because we never thought we had to, right? Yeah, We, we took it for never grand. happened.
1: So now we're all, you know, different groups out there trying to do the best they can, scrambling to try to catch up, but we're way behind. And I think the other side of that is the same normalcy bias. You you start talking about this stuff. We do sound crazy and normal people don't want to believe that any of this can happen in America.
0: Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. I want to get to the pro-democracy movement and slash the big D Democratic Party, but I want to talk about this 40-year movement. For a second. You know, the definition, some people's definition of luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? So you take a 40 year effort of the Federalist Society, Young Americans for Freedom, you name it, right? All this other stuff, Heritage Foundation, ALEC, all these things. So they've been preparing, but their opportunity came with Trump, even if they didn't know it at the time. And once Trump not only got in, but also in 2015 and 2016 was clearly going to be the nominee, they suddenly had their opportunity, which was, wait a second, this is a guy who is completely transactional, doesn't care about anything. And if we say, we'll be there for you if you do these things, and oh, by the way, letting us do all these things, Joe, means that you get to keep power, grow your power. Trump's like, great, good for me, good for you. And again... There's two things.
1: They view the direction of the country, this whole thing is an existential threat to them, to their way of life, to an America that they don't want to see. At the same time, Trump is his back's to the wall with all these indictments. His only way out is to do whatever the hell they want again. And by the way, he's never had a problem with that anyway.
0: Well, I was going to say that's an easy lift for him. He doesn't care.
1: Right. right? Yeah. But he knows. It's same existential threat to him. He has to win so that he can pardon himself and then be in power
0: forever. Yeah. I mean, look, as someone who grew up in the Republican Party, both when my dad was on Capitol Hill when I was a child and then as a young political cooperative, I don't want to say that this stuff was opaque on Republican campaigns. But as I've told the story before, there was like one guy who sort of represented this world. Everybody thought he was a weirdo. Right. And like no one really wanted to hang out with him. It turns out like we thought he was in there with us. And no, it turned out, we were in there with him. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I'm saying.
1: They've been working to get there for 60 years and they're right there. They've got a guy, Trump, that is willing to help them seize it. And he not only would want to do that, but secondly, has to. He views this as his future is the only guarantee he has to not go to prison or not be held accountable. And so those two forces have been in sync now since he came down the escalator, and they started to realize where this could go, and more and more of them jumped on that train because he could fulfill their dream. It's now in tandem, and it's now a very powerful, very well-funded, and the Democratic Party getting it organized to fight this is not going to happen that way. It's going to happen from the bottom-up people and different groups out there, who understand what needs to happen in the key states and make
0: it happen? So I was on a Zoom last night as we we're recording this with our union leadership. Join the Union if you haven't yet, and I know most of you haven't, so get out there. But they were asking about that very thing about you know how we're going to organize, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I said you know because one of the you know Will Rogers famously said, "I'm not part of any organized political party. I'm a Democrat." And I said that, you know that's why people like us you know help exist. Some of the folks are Democrats, some are Republicans, some independents. It really doesn't matter. But if we can provide a bullhorn to get the message out, if we can provide, you know, a little bit of glue or a hinge around which other people can move like great, like we don't care. And as I said to them and I've said and then I'll say to you, Joe, you know, the thing about coalition fighting is that you don't agree on everything. You just have to agree on one thing. And to your point about the Democratic coalition, as I have said, the strength is its diversity, but that's also its weakness, which is. As you know, probably better than anyone, every election cycle, you have to go make the case to those people again, which in a normal situation is a necessary and I think healthy exercise to explain to your constituents why you should earn their vote. But in a time of, as you said, existential threat to democracy, you're like, please just, please just do what we ask. Right. But that's not how it's going to be. It's going to have to be day in and day out for the next 16 months or whatever at the doors, convincing people. And as you know, having done this for as long as you have and, and being really the father of modern campaigning, it can take 10 minutes at the door to convince somebody just to look at their ballot, right? That's
1: the part that we've got to get across to people at the doors in our messaging, in the ads that Lincoln Project does to get people to understand this is Trumpism versus democracy it's not left versus right it's not republicans independents and democrats or you know republicans versus democrat i mean one of the things that has to happen i think is which i think the union is a good example of is, is citizenship people who regardless of party regardless of differences they may have have come together in that singular purpose of defending democracy and doing what we need to do in each of our communities To win this fight and make sure that the autocratic, the Trumpism, that the white supremacists, that that they don't win this fight, uh, this election cycle.
0: But again, I think that this is a really important point that brings a lot of it together, which is this movement has been going on for 40, 50, 60 years. But the other part, too, Joe, as you can see, is that it's had to accelerate because it knows they know that the world is moving away from them. The country is moving away from them demographically, economically, socially. And so why have you know, social conservatives always been so hot for judges? Right? Because they know as much as they don't like judges to legislate from the bench and they consider themselves, quote unquote, constitutional originalists, which is also bullshit, that they have to lock in places where they can secure the culture where under normal circumstances you can't undo it. And now we're even seeing where I think it's important to understand that, you know, there are some that say, okay, if we defeat Trump in a primary, you know, that's great. I agree. It would be great if he lost the primary, right? It would be a big thing. I think we could, you know, spend another hour on the dynamics of that. But the problem with that thinking, as far as it goes, is the movement doesn't end. If Trump loses the primary, there's all sorts of other stuff that's going to happen that, you know, I don't don't even want to think about, but we will have to eventually. But also the poison has seeped down into the states. It's seeped into the judiciary. I mean, let's use Alabama, for example. This Supreme Court, this conservative Supreme Court, Joe, told the state of Alabama that it had drawn congressional maps that intentionally excluded a district that should be African American, which would be a second black district in Alabama the Alabama legislature said, huh, OK, they redrew a map, still only had one black district and passed it into law. Now, the Supreme Court doesn't have some sort of police force that can go down and tell K. I. V. and the legislative leadership, you've got to do this. And so this is where, you know, when democracy meets tyranny, a lot of times democracy is sort of without answers because it's like, well, what do we do now? Because are you not going to seek the Alabama delegation in 2024, if they don't change the maps, is the Supreme Court going to say this is invalid? And now we're off the sort of map of democracy and into a place where this is a perfect, it's nullification, for lack of a better way to right. put
1: it. And that's a good example of it. It's again running out of time. We're running out of time. They know that the nation's changing, it's moving in a direction they don't want it to. So, how do we use the laws and the courts to get as much as we can? before we run out of time. And by the way, if we can get as much as we can, we may be able to take the whole thing over before we run out of time. I mean, this is why they're doing this. And then you look at what happened in Alabama last cycle when the court ruled that you need to have two districts. It went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court, we're not even to look, we're gonna look at this after the election. You can keep the old lines. So now the Supreme Court heard it Looked at the line, said, "Gotta have two. State passes a new law that doesn't do that. That's going to go to court. It could go back to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court could say, "Ah, oh, it's too late." We'll look at it again after this election,
0: or they could tell them to do it again.
1: The problem is, it's just a hamster wheel, right? Yeah, exactly. And they, they tell them to do it again. They pass another law. It doesn't do it. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's a. You're right. The hamster wheel. So. In the meantime, in other states, they're passing laws that let the legislature say that the election wasn't certified correctly or wasn't handled correctly. And therefore, here's the real electoral college slates. I mean, look, the failed coup on January 6th was completely illegal, but they're now in a place where you change the law and you can make the coming coup of 2024 basically a bunch of legal briefs. By bizarre legal means,
0: but because they've got that, that's what their goals are. So let's fast forward to 2024. I mean, I posit, Joe, that based on what you've just said, that if and when Trump wins the nomination, which I believe he will, he's going to say they stole it from us in 2020. They're going to try and steal it again in 2024. And the only way I can lose, Joe, is if they steal it from me and my people MAGA, we can never allow that, which sets up a whole bunch of different things. To me, I think something that, that our friend Simon Rosenberg has said is that means we got to get Biden to 55 percent in as many states as we possibly can, because a couple of things. One, that's a blowout electorally. But two, at that level, it would even say to some of maybe Trump's more Fervent backers, you know what? Like, it's not 11,000 votes in Georgia, it's 50. It's not 50,000 votes in Wisconsin, it's 100. It's not 36,000 votes in Michigan, it's 75,000. Things that, like, you can't steal 75,000. You can't steal 75 votes, 750 votes. You sure as hell can't steal 75,000 votes. Yeah, well, we want them on the phone
1: asking, I just need. 342,000 votes. Right. (laughs) I need you to find 342,000 votes. You know, that's what we need him to be doing. But no, I think that's right. I mean, I think movements like this, I mean, throughout history, they're persistent. It's not going to go away if he's defeated in the primary or even if they're defeated, uh, you know, if it's Ron DeSantis or somebody and they lose the November election regardless, that movement's going to continue. The thing that kills these movements, though, is first losing losing repeatedly and finally being crushed in a crushing loss. And so the 55%, that's what we should be talking about. In other words, let's all kick his ass. (laughs) You know, let's get 55%. Let's do the work. Let's make sure it happens. Leave no stone unturned. Do not turn the other cheek. Slam right back at him. It's something I've learned by working with you guys in the Lincoln Project. It's like the no labels ad that Lincoln Project put out a few days ago. My Democratic friends are saying like, geez, are they saving the really tough stuff for later on because (laughs) they admire it. Well, instead of like, okay, well, let's like all get our oars in the water. And yeah, you don't have to be the Lincoln Project, but can you be in the union? You know, can you be in some organization out there or get really involved in the state and make a difference? And I think that's what everybody needs to do.
0: So, Joe, like 18 months ago, you and I and Rick were down in South Florida visiting with people. We did some stuff in Miami. We did some stuff in Fort Lauderdale. We did some stuff in Palm Beach. And, you know, this was probably what, November of 21. And already, you know, even then it was like 2022 is going to be the red wave, right? It's going to be bad, you know, all this other stuff. And we sort of lean back on our history on our Sun Tzu, right? The fastest way to beat an enemy is to believe that they've already lost. And we're like, we have not lost. And then you put out a memo, I think in January of last year, saying, here's why this is not going to be as bad as all of you think. And what did we also say? That 2022 was ultimately going to be about democracy, right? That was going to be the issue on the ballot. Now, I think that in 2024, it's still democracy. But of course, if you have Trump. I mean, the guy just sucks up so much time, energy, space, everything else, right? It's really yet another referendum on him, which is, do enough Americans really want this guy back in the White House with all of the things he and his friends are promising to do? I don't think they do, but that's another thing. But give us a little sense of, and I say this with all the love in the world, is this what Democrats do? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It is. You know, frankly, it's what the
1: country does. I mean, everybody talks about, well, no one likes either one of them. I can't remember... Any general election where there wasn't a, oh, is this the choice? You know, is this the only choice we have? It's just, that's just the way this all plays out. What we've never had, I think, is the contrast between someone who's actually accomplished so much, Joe Biden, and and gets very little credit for it in a very fragmented, you know, media environment and a corrupt dictator wannabe. That's the contrast. And I still think, I thought this in 2020, that Biden represented the best contrast to Trump of any of the other candidates, And we had great candidates out there, but he had presented the best contrast to him, to Trump that would give enough disenchanted Republicans and enough independents and younger voters, somebody who they could leave the Republican Party, enough of them or their normal leanings could leave them to be with Biden. A Democrat for the first time in their lives, a lot of them. I thought that contrast again is what stopped the red wave that never came and turned it into a red mirage. And I fervently believe now, particularly with the indictments and other things you just pointed out, that it's that contrast again that could get us to 55. If we all do the things that, you know, build the coalition, get out our vote, be strong in our message you know, take on the Tubervilles of the world when they do the crazy stuff that he's doing, holding up, you know, military promotions and get on with the reality. We've got a great president who's done an amazing job in an environment with an opposition party that's out of its mind and trying to stop any success. So that's our message. And we take it to people and take it door to door. And I've said this before. I know people stop talking to people and their family and stuff over all, all this, but start talking to them. You know,
0: <laughs> you know, you're not going to convince all of them if you get three percent of them to come over. It's over. Listen, if you live in Michigan and you have Trumpy relatives, tell them they don't have to vote for Joe Biden. They just have to stay home. Actually, don't even stay home. Vote for everything but Donald Trump, because an undervote, Joe, as we know, electorally is just as good. Um, let me ask this. So. Now, here we are, you know, 16 months away. And here's the other part, too, is like everybody's exhausted. But if we look overseas for a second in the last, not only in the last couple of weeks, but also in the last couple of years is in France, as unpopular as Emmanuel Macron was, he beat Marine Le Pen, the sort of fascist Russian backed opposition. We just saw in Spain a week or so ago that the sort of Francoist phoenix-like party that everybody thought was going to sweep into power and turn the place back into something in the 1970s didn't win they lost and then we saw in our own country last year and we saw this not only in big states like michigan wisconsin pennsylvania but also in some congressional districts like i think washington three maybe that southwest corner of washington we saw in the colorado springs colorado mayor's race, not what you would call a bastion of liberalism, which is if it is a normal Democrat up against a MAGA Republican, the chances are that the normal Democrat's going to win.
1: Look, I mean, that's the other thing I think we will see is they're going to nominate more crazies on their side. And again, I think one of the things, you know, sort of exposing the danger of the threat, they're doing that. I mean, January 6th helped do do that. I mean, Before, it was just, hey, they're a bunch of crazies. Well, now they're a bunch of dangerous crazies, and the danger is our democracy itself. And I think that's a powerful contrast. If we have good, solid Democratic nominees, which we've done the last few cycles, we need that again, but we also need them to to do what they did last time. You know, We'll see if they've learned any lessons. I don't think so. Trump may modify who he endorses for his own benefit, but we'll see. I still think We have to do the work because it's clear that they've been on a mission to do this. It's not going away. And the bigger we defeat him and this authoritarian threat this time, the more damage we do to that movement that we'll have to continue to fight for over several cycles. But this is the one that I think is, you know, we keep saying this now. We do it now. We do this one. We really have to do because if Trump is in the White House again, I think you don't have to think too much about what he will do and they will do, what we already know they've done to stay in power for a long, long time. Once you lose democracy, there aren't very many places it's ever really come back, if ever, really.
0: Right. And the one thing that we've seen throughout history, and several people have said this too, is that if these people take over, they all hate each other more than they hate you and me. And the thing tends to eat itself. The problem is. Joe, in that process of self-consumption, so much damage occurs that it's years, if not decades, to your point. I mean, just look at Germany post-World War II, Japan post-World War II, Italy post-World War II, right? These are now, I mean, Italy's gone a little bit off the rails, but for the most part, these are now functioning liberal democracies with capitalist economies. But look at the damage that they were able to do in 12 years. Absolutely. We need to
1: win the fight. But I also think it's not just democracy here. You know, if we falter and fall to an authoritarian, you know, look at the damage he did internationally in the four years. That, that'll be it, though. I mean, I think a lot of the democracies around the world, I think if we lose ground here, that just means a lot of lost ground everywhere. And the authoritarians are They're already working together, we know that to upend things. Well it'll just
0: really fuel that fire. And that's what we can't allow. All right, Joe, before I let you go, first I want to thank you for joining me again. Where can folks find you online and where can they find that trippy show? On Twitter at Joe Trippy. I
1: think that's the same on Threads now at Joe Trippy. Also, that trippy show, hope people give me a listen on the podcast and you could find it wherever you find your Lincoln Project podcasts or any of your favorite podcasts.
0: As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on Instagram and threads at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Joe, thanks again for joining me. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you wanna message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you wanna personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.